Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, Enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. And it is a good day for the second straight week as we hit record. Keith Jones, Tom Block with you. How are you, sir? Finally, finally. Two finallys. Wow, what a game. Two in a row. That constitutes a streak. I don't know anybody that really saw it coming quite the way it happened on Saturday in Chapel Hill, though, because candidly, Florida State didn't have a good recipe at the start. You don't want to fall behind 10-zip on the road and let the home crowd get into it. You want to go the other way. But then, honestly, they just absolutely whooped Carolina the rest of the way, Keith. 21 to nothing in the second half alone. Florida State with three consecutive drives that resulted in touchdowns. And after that second one, when they went up 14-10, Tommy, it just felt like FSU was in control. And it's been, it's been a long time since I think any of us would say that they felt the Knowles were in control. Yeah, I felt that too. And, you know, even as I was thinking about Sam Howell and Carolina being able to come back, I wasn't overly concerned because the flip side of the equation was I didn't really think that Carolina could stop FSU at a key point in the game. I mean, FSU had them so off balance all game long offensively that, uh, I mean, they were averaging six, seven yards of play, whatever it was. And uh, maybe more than that, I, I just didn't really feel that North Carolina was going to be able to get them off the field. It certainly felt like a game that FSU offensively said, we know what we're going to do. We know what we've planned to do, and we're going to execute it and do it. I thought it was as good an offensive uh, game plan, uh, as good a play calling as uh, – uh, Dillingham has had in his career at Florida State, and I thought Travis executed. I mean, I, I can't think of anything that I would point to as a glaring mistake um, in, in how he executed from quarterback position. Can you? No. Well, I mean, he, what was he, 11 for 13 throwing the football? Correct. Yep. So, and, and his QBR was like 265 or something, and then he ran so for off the charts. Off the charts. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was a really, really great game for Jordan Travis. That's two years in a row he's done that to North Carolina. This was a different game, though. Last year, Florida State got some blocked punts. They hit some big plays. They got a big lead, and then they held on for dear life. Th this was different. This, they fought from behind. They took control of the game. North Carolina tried to say, hey, wait a minute, we're the better team here, and Florida State wasn't having it. How about in the third quarter when Carol – so the opening drive of the third quarter, Florida State with a 21-10 lead, they go three and out, and Carolina does come and score, and you think, okay, it's going to be game on. But FSU immediately gets the ball back and goes and answers. That, that was huge. Really huge, and that's one thing that this team is finally beginning to understand. That, you know, when, when an opponent does something, you have to answer it. And for the first time in as long as I can remember, uh, FSU responded in a positive way anytime that Carolina, you know, felt like they were taking over momentum. Not surprisingly, it was a joyous locker room, Keith, as it should be. But 
it really felt, you know, they were excited last week. They're excited this week. It felt different, though, because this felt like a team that's been buying in but still needed to see a little bit more proof. And now they've, now they've gotten it. I mean, that was Mike Norvell's first road win. And obviously you got you got to build on this, but it, it just felt like uh, if you're going to be two and four at the midpoint of the season going into a bye week, that's not where you wanted to be, but at least you won the last two going in and now you get a break. It just feels like they're, they're heading the right direction. This was a, this was a definite step forward. Here's my biggest takeaway. How many times did you see Florida State overly celebrating offensively or defensively when they made plays? You know, you and I have talked about act like you've been there before. And and you didn't see anybody overly excited about what they did offensively or defensively in that this is how we're supposed to do it. This is what is expected of us. And all we did was execute what we're supposed to do. We're not going to get overly excited about it because we got to know we make we 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 know we have to make another play, but that was a big takeaway for me. I'm sorry to be old fashioned that way, but that was a huge takeaway for me. Yeah, no, I I agree with what you're saying on that. Let's let's start with the offense, I guess, since we teed up Jordan Travis already. I mean, about as flawless a game as a quarterback can play, at least in in our estimation on that front. Looks like FSU's found its identity in terms of they found a way to get Corbin and Trayshawn Ward involved, and Travis, it's it's really a three-headed running back there. The offensive line, now Devontae Love-Taylor went out. I'm sure they showed it on TV, but Devontae Love-Taylor was not dressed out for the second half. He had his uh, right ankle in a boot. Uh, I did see him put, for whatever it's worth, he did put pressure on it. He, he was walking with a cane, but also put some pressure on it. So I don't know a long-term prognosis. Hopefully, hopefully the bye week helps, and it's okay. That said, uh, they basically had their their starting offensive line out there at the beginning of the game until Love Taylor went out, and then Babyon Johnson went in, and we've seen him at center, but he's he's been more suited to play guard. And the offensive line, let's tip our cap, and Jordan Travis did. They they played very well in this football game. That they did. That they did. This is probably as consistent a game as they played. Now, granted, not going against the greatest defensive front in the world but they did what they needed to do when they needed to do it. Uh, and again, I'll go back to the fact that you, you know, you don't always give coaches a lot of credit, but I thought Kenny Dillingham called his best game of his Florida state career. And obviously Travis executed it. Uh, but the offensive line was not the Achilles heel in this ball game that they've sometimes been. There's no question. And to your point about the, the game plan or the, 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 the way the offense flowed based on how Kenny Dillingham and Mike Norvell called the plays. They mixed in screen with swell. There was a tight end screen, but for, you know, the, the offensive line has been a maligned group, Keith, and we're giving them their props. Let's give the receiving core some due too, because Ontario Wilson and Keyshawn Helton made big catches in this game. They're veteran guys who've been inconsistent in their careers, but they made some big plays. Uh, Ontario coming off a week, really a forgettable week last week with the muffed punt, and then the screwed up lateral and, you know, Keyshawn were a couple games away from when he dropped a sure touchdown against Jacksonville state that, Oh, by the way, Florida state would have won that game. If Keyshawn makes that catch early on. So tip of the cap to them today, they both played well. The receiving core played well. Great routes, couple of touchdowns, some key first, excuse me, third down catches to convert to first downs. Uh, the proverbial, as we like to talk about the toe tap 
but yes, no drops, uh, some great route running. Uh, didn't see and didn't use the bubble screens and the wideout screens that we've seen in the past where we had to worry about the blocking, but certainly they caught the ball much better than we've seen in quite a while. Malik McLean got his first touchdown catches in all too, and that was good to see. The the long pass to Ontario Wilson, pretty similar to how they schemed it up last year on a play against North Carolina where they hit Ontario for like a 50-yarder. This time it was maybe a 30 or 35-yarder, but he did get into the end zone. And that goes to your point about Kenny Dillingham. That was, that was dialed up at the right time. Finally saw some plays down the field, uh, and that's good to see, and, and called at the right time. And of course, anytime you win, everybody looks real good. There's plenty, plenty of things that this offense needs to improve upon, plenty of areas to get better at. But as we've talked about, it is much easier to instruct from tape when you're winning than instructing from tape when you're losing. Let's flip it and go to the defensive side of the ball, Keith. Even though North Carolina outgained Florida State in this game, part of that was playing a little soft when you had an 18-point lead late in the game. But, but really, I mean, Carolina had two weapons. One was throwing to the lot, slot receiver – Downs, who I think was targeted 16 times in the game. So if you're going to throw to a guy 16 times, he's going to get some catches and get some yards. But other than that, really their only weapon was a draw play, you know, running the draw with, with Sam Howe. Howe had his yardage. Uh, he, is a, he is a talent. You and I talked about on our weekday show, you know, the proverbial what if. What if, what if Sam had actually signed with Florida State after – he committed and de then decommitted and signed with Carolina. You know, the what if. Uh, he certainly showed why he's one of the premier quarterbacks in the ACC. But FSU contained him. He got, he got loose. He made some things happen, as you would expect him to do. But other than downs, they didn't really have an answer and didn't really have a playmaker. And as you mentioned, FSU gave up some yardage, but they didn't give up the points. And uh, last time I checked, that's the final score. It's based on the points, not on the yardage. So hats off to, uh, to Adam Fuller and his defense. They played, they played well enough to win, and they did win. We'll start up front. Florida State didn't get any sacks of Howell until late in the game when Jermaine Johnson finally got him. So I, I thought they might have a little more success there, but I think the draw neutralized that a little bit because Carolina ran him on that draw several times in, in past, you know, third and – third and six, eight, ten, where normally you might have a chance to get at the quarterback. They were running draws. But FSU was really thin at the D tackle position. Dennis Briggs was out. Uh, uh, Jackson was not available for this game. They only had four guys dressed at the D tackle spot, and only two of them really have played meaningful moments in their career, and that's Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper. The other two have not played a whole lot. Uh, but I, I thought they did a nice job. I mean, Cooper was our player of the game last week, Keith. We He had a he had a tough penalty when he jumped off, off sides on that fourth down early in the, in the game, which hurt FSU. But all in all, for as thin as they were, we'll take it. No question. No question. And again, you know, when you play quarterbacks like the Howells of the world, you know, getting sacks is really not your measurement. What you want to do is get him off of, off of his point, get him off of uh, his cycle and, and get him outside and, and make him do some things that he's not comfortable doing and recognize that you're going to give up some yardage uh, when he chooses or the play is called where he keeps the ball. 
That, that's the world that we live in today. So I think you got to give that uh, defensive front, as you mentioned, just one sack with Johnson, but I, I think that'll be enough for him to continue to lead the country in that regard. But that's not a, a recipe and not a situation where you expect to get to the quarterback much. You, you, you don't want to shut him down. You just want to contain him. And FSU did a good job of doing that tonight. Let's talk about the secondary, Keith, because this is the second straight week that Jamie Robinson has been in a traditional safety spot as opposed to being, in essence, the nickelback who they had lined up earlier this year on the slot receiver. And I think he, he he's, he's made a lot of plays all year from either position. I think he and the defense overall look better with him in that role. What do you think? I agree. And I thought that uh, Coach Fuller did a good job of mixing up the zone versus the man. You know, there were a couple of times when Carolina took advantage and, and was able to complete some balls down the field. Uh, unfortunately, that happens. Uh, but I think overall, uh, they did just enough, and particularly the defensive backs did enough, to keep Carolina off balance. Uh, now, there, the critics out there would say there were, there were a couple of drops, and there were, and there were a couple passes that uh, Howell, you know, didn't make. Uh, that's going to happen in a ball game, but you didn't see people running free. You didn't see confusion. Uh, you saw a great, a great turnover uh, in the red zone, uh, an interception, if you will, in the end zone that was run back out to the four or five. Those are the types of plays that, you know, good teams have to make and great teams have got to make consistently. And we haven't seen a lot of that up until the last couple of weeks, but we are now starting to see some of it. Well, let's talk about the, the defensive play there, Keith, because uh, Jarian had the interception. He also had a play late in the game where he was beat, and Sidney Williams similar in the first half, but they did, they did it just the way they teach you, Keith. They were in trail position, but as soon as the receiver moved his hands up to grab the ball, they moved their arms up, and they got deflections in each instance, once in the first half, once in the second half to actually get knockaways, which we've not seen a ton of from Florida State DBs. Those were nice plays. Not a lot of PBUs out there, are there, Tommy? There you haven't know, been. I, I never was taught that. I never played that. I don't have confidence in that. But that is the way that everybody teaches it now. And in both instances, as soon as the receiver put their hands in position to attempt to make the catch, they got their hands up and, as you mentioned, got the deflections. Uh, it was textbook the way it's taught. Uh, I'll catch up at some point in time and uh, buy into that philosophy, uh, but I'll just applaud it right now. One other thing I want to point out. So Josh Downs, and again, what did he have, 16 targets? He probably had 8, 10 catches, 115 yards, something like that. Uh, once again, folks, uh, I'm driving home from Doe Campbell Stadium because the team just got back, so – as Keith and I are chatting, I'm not looking at the stats. I'm just driving. What Do you have the numbers in front of you, Keith? What did he have? 15, he was targeted 15 times, had nine catches for 121. Here's the point I was going to make, though, and, and I know those numbers. Uh, again, 15 targets, you're going to get some catches. Florida State lined up Tevin Knowles on him probably 95% of the time because he's a slot receiver, and that's who the nickel DB is. Kevin Knowles is a true freshman, Keith. So Exactly, exactly. The fact that they're putting him in that situation, uh, you could look at it on the surface and say, what in the world are they doing? They're playing a freshman on him. 
But you got to go the other way and say all the parts and pieces they have on this team in the secondary, the guy they want on them is a freshman, and that bodes well for the future with, with Knowles getting that assignment. You saw a lot of younger players playing. We've talked all last couple, three weeks anyway, about Williams uh, at, at the safety position. Um, I mean, they have made the decision that they're going to play the younger guys, and they've gotten the younger guys some reps, not a lot of reps, not starters reps, but enough reps. And now you're starting to see the younger players who, as we've talked about also, have talent. They just don't have experience. Now they're getting the experience. They're getting the opportunity. And, Tommy, they're making plays. It was good to see. I'm trying to think what else defensively for, for Florida State. The interception was big, not turning it over offensively. I guess we didn't say this in talking about the offense, Keith. That was the most efficient game Florida State's had in terms of third down conversion percentage, which goes back to the fact that they just had Carolina off balance all game long. But Florida State, for as much as they struggled the first three or four games of the season in that department, They've been much better the last couple of weeks, and you probably got to point to Jordan Travis as a reason why. Uh, so that was noticeable. But what else? What else defensively? Well, again, just to reiterate, because I've got the numbers in front of me, FSU was seven of ten on third downs. That's a that's a Norvell game high for his entire uh, career uh, at FSU in season number two. I, I just thought that they brought pressure at the right times and they laid back at the right times. I mean, this, this was a game that, that coach Fuller was pretty aggressive in. And, and there were a lot of situations where they were bringing corners and or a safety on the blitz. I was a little disappointed that sometimes they didn't execute them very well. I.e. they came late, but you could see the players starting to understand uh, what they're being asked to do, particularly when it came time to put on pressure. And then I thought, if you go back and look at the tape, I guarantee you, you'll be impressed with the stunts that the defensive line and the defensive ends have done and did do tonight. Um, I mean, that, that was a very impressive uh, array. They only got the one sack, but they got enough times where they flushed uh, Howell uh, to make this uh, a worthwhile endeavor. And I was very impressed with what they did. Okay, let's talk special teams, Keith, because we've been on it the last couple of weeks, last week in particular. First of all, Florida State made a decision in terms of its kickoff team. They're just going to put the ball in the end zone and not even roll the dice on Carolina breaking free and getting past the 25. So I, I like that decision. Now, on the other side, they didn't take the fair catch, but Travis Jay, who's who's been out, I guess he's been injured the last couple of weeks. I don't know the ailment there. But he did get a 41-yard return early in the game, so a couple points here. Number one, Carolina made a conscious decision not to kick deep. Coming into this game, they had 36 kickoffs and 33 were touchbacks. The first two in this game were shy of the goal line because they wanted Florida State to return them because FSU's not been good. And that showed up on the very first kick return of the game when Corey Wren got hit hard and knocked out of the game and the UNC player got tossed from the game for targeting. But then they did it again, and it was Travis Jay, and, and he is athletic, and that made a difference. And when you take over at the 41, which is why Norvell and company want to keep doing this, it's a shorter field, and that was FSU's first touchdown drive of the game. You and I were uh, texting and chatting uh, during the week. Uh, I still am of the opinion. I suspect you're not far behind me. 
but I'm still of the opinion, absent, even absent the Travis J 41-yard return, let's fair catch these things for the next little while. Let's start at the 25, and, and then let's build upon that. But it was, it was good to see Jay finally break through with one and get the ball out, uh, you know, other than at the 25. Well, if you're going to return it, so at least Jay is a bigger body, and, and you have him back there with Corbin, who we haven't seen it. At, we've seen some at Florida State, but he had great kick return success at Texas A&M. At least those two guys are going to fall forward when they get hit instead of some of the smaller guys that Florida State's had back there that have kind of been tippy-toeing around and, and just not hitting it aggressively. But I, I still do tend to agree, Keith. I think the the reward of starting at the 35 or the 40, I don't know if it offsets the penalty of starting at your own 15 the way this offense has, has struggled this year. Certainly you don't want to do that because it does two things. Number one, it backs you up. And number two, it changes the play calls. I mean, you know, if, if, if Kenny Dillingham or any, in fact, any offensive coordinator will be honest with you, what they call first and 10 from the negative 15 is a whole lot different than what they call first and 10 from the negative 40. No question. Keyshawn Helton was back returning punts and did a nice job on that today. Just catch the football. If, if you happen to have time to make a return, all the better, but he caught the football. And, and that was basically it from a special team standpoint, Keith. I'm trying to think, did I miss anything there on special teams? Uh, you know, they, they tried uh, the, uh, the onside kick, which was recovered early. Uh, and that's the first time we've seen Florida State. I, do you technically call it the onside kick defense? I don't know. But uh, obviously, when Carolina was in a position to onside kick, Florida State responded to it correctly and, and effectively. Well, it's your hands team. I, interestingly, I asked John Papuchis about this, that, about how often they practice that this week. And uh, he, when we were done, he said, what, do you think that's going to come into play this weekend? I said, you never know. But the answer is uh, every, every Thursday is when they do both the hands team in terms of recovering onside kicks, but also – kicking the onside kicks now the, the specialists work on kicking it all week long but in terms of with the full special teams unit they do that on thursdays and heck i hope they i hope they have to deal i hope they have to get the hands team out there every week keith that's a good problem to have right that is a very good problem to have you are correct tommy what do we need to do i you know i i, I feel like we can we're, we're gonna just going to name this award after him because i'm pretty sure jordan travis is going to win one of our player of the week honors here keith well, but it is time now for our prime meridian bank performance of the game and, and hands down it's got to go to travis he had uh, 14 carries for 121 yards as you mentioned previously he was 11 of 13 in the passing department two touchdowns on the ground three touchdowns through the air including one of 44 yards in terms of completions and he is our prime Meridian Bank performer performance of the game. Speaking of performance, Prime Meridian Bank has been named best bank by the readers of Tallahassee Magazine. Want to bank where you they greet you by name, smiling faces that offer you coffee and a cookie when you walk in the door? Well, that's what I call performance. Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Offices in Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and Lakeland or on the web at trymybank.com. Member FDIC. I was in the bank uh, Friday morning meeting with Miss Susan, and uh, I walked in the door. I had three different people ask me if I wanted a cup of coffee, Tommy, and uh, I declined all of them, but I got one before I left. The cup of coffee is not my weak spot, Keith. It's the cookie that does me in. 
When now I that cookie is a little dangerous. Is a little, uh, yeah. I need to talk to them about that. That might that, that might be a negative some way. I don't know how, I, but I still I, am going to enjoy it. I need a diet cookie. I I need a diet cookie. Um, I, one thing just came to my mind while you're while you're talking about that, Keith. We we need to point out that Florida State has drastically cut down on its penalties over the last couple of games. And North Carolina was the exact opposite. I mean, they just shot themselves in the foot on Saturday. But remember a couple of weeks ago, Florida State had a lot of penalties, and they talked about bringing refs back to practice, and they did that. And I don't know if it's a direct correlation, but if you look at the timeline, it appears that it is. Uh, it's probably more about focus and being dialed in and that sort of thing. But they've done a nice job of, of cutting down on their penalties the last couple of games. Just five miscues in the North Carolina game, and and Tommy, it, you know, again, we go back to uh, playing golf. If you if you don't play golf for a period of time, generally the first thing that leaves your golf game is putting and chipping around the green. If you leave uh, off focus and and time on the basketball court, one of the first things that leaves you is your ability to rebound, particularly offensive rebounds. If you don't practice it, one of the first things that leaves uh, on a football field is tackling. And, and the other part of that is if you have the, the zebras there and they're making calls during practice, then they become a, a focal point and you start paying attention to them. As mentioned, uh, FSU was just set, uh, five miscues in the Carolina game. And since they brought the, the officials back to practice, that has gotten better. Coincidence? I don't know, but let's keep it up. Exactly. And now Florida State gets a much needed off week, bye week. I think the team is actually off until Tuesday. And trust me, they were a little excited when that announcement was made that they get a couple days off. Normally they practice on Sundays. So to hear they don't have to be back until Tuesday, that, that's a definite win for them. Coaches will be on the road recruiting, certainly the tail end of the week or by the middle of the week to get to get back on the road. I got a big picture topic I want to get to, Keith, but do we need to do something for Hobson Chevrolet here before I go to that? Our defensive player of the game for Hobson Chevrolet is Sidney Williams. I'm going with the freshman, Tommy. He finished the ball game with 10 tackles, seven of them solo, was credited with one pass breakup, and I've been very impressed with the amount of snaps that he's taken as well as the play of, of the youngster. Number 23 in your program, uh, Sidney Williams, our Hobson Chevrolet defensive player of the way. Get your best deal, the Hobson way. Drive up to Cairo, see our good friends up at Hobson Chevrolet, and, and drive home happy. Uh, I thought Williams had another very, very good ball game. Yeah, he's played well. He's played well. And, and interestingly, he's not the name. He, he started playing very late last year, late in the season, last couple of games it feels like. And he, he's not the first name that would come to your mind when you talk about certainly in August when you're talking about guys in that secondary and you're mentioning Akeem Den and Travis Jay and Brandon Gant and other names. And then lo and behold, here's Sidney Williams who, who's out there an awful lot. I, I like what they're – he and Jamie Robinson, I like that tandem out there, Keith. I, I do. And I know you pay attention to the safeties a lot, but I like what I've seen from them. Well, and Robinson had 12 stops in the ballgame, nine of them solo, but uh, I chose to go with the – I guess technically he's the younger of the youngsters. Would that be an accurate statement? I think so. I think so. Here's the big picture topic I wanted to go to, Keith. You were with me and Paul Kennedy 20 years ago in September of 2001 
when Florida State had, had finished 14 straight years in the top four and had turned things over to Chris Ricks as a freshman. And if memory serves, I think FSU was 2-0, and and then 9-11 happened, and we missed a week of the season. And the first game back was in Chapel Hill against John Bunning's Tar Heels. And we went in there not particularly worried about the game, as I recall, and we left there wondering what in the world just happened because Carolina had exploded on FSU 41-9. to Right. And about the only thing, I remember it was a hot day. I remember when we got to the airport because nobody was flying. Literally, that was, they had just put planes back in the air. So nobody's in the airport. It was me, you, PK, I think Craig Rothberg, and Lynn Swan from the ABC crew. And yep. I, don't, I don't know about Lynn, but the rest of us, uh, this is when I was, I was not traveling with the team, Keith. We were flying commercial. Uh, the rest of us had at least a beer or two. I don't know about Lynn and sat there and wondered, what did we just see? And so I bring this up, Keith, because at in that moment, maybe you know or, or thought this, I don't think I thought in that very moment in time that that was the end of the dynasty. But it, in, in retrospect, it certainly was the beginning of the end. And so now as we come forward 20 years, I'm not going to say that Florida State's launching another dynasty, but I do think when we get a couple years down the road, in retrospect, we might look back at what happened in Chapel Hill this weekend and point to it as a pretty significant victory for Florida State and for, for Mike Norvell. What do you think? Two things. Number one, the first road victory for Coach Norvell. Number two, consecutive wins, home against Syracuse and, and, and North Carolina on the road. What really matters, Tommy, and I believe you're correct, I will be willing to support you, but what really matters is what Florida State does with this going forward. Now, I know that's a cliche, and you and I have talked about it for 35 years now, but the Carolina win this year is only important if you build upon it. It's only important if you continue to learn your lessons. It's only important if you make progress the next time out. And, and, oh, by the way, that is the message from Coach Norvell and the rest of this staff. You know, the 1% every day, the get better every day, the ability to teach mistakes and correction of mistakes from a win versus a loss. So all of the indicators are pointed in the right direction. Uh, we can hope, but the proof will be what you do with it. And that's what I'm excited about because I believe, I do believe, that the kids now believe, the staff now believes, and I think, I think we're on to something. We'll wait and see. You're right. You're right. That's why I say we'll have to see in a couple of years if we reflect back, and it, it truly does depend on how Florida State builds on this because you can't go backwards. You just raise the bar, so you got to keep moving from here. I can tell you, and I don't know if this came through the TV as well, Keith, and, and when you have an 18-point lead, I suppose it should be this way. But we've talked a lot about this, Keith, and over the last few years, there's sort of been a feeling of, well, what's what what's, what's fixing go to happen? What's fixing to go bad? What's fixing to what, be wrong? What's go bad? And and this one was was not that. It was we're not going to lose this game. Matter of fact, we're going to win this game, and there's not anything they can do about it. It was a different feel. I, it's confidence is what it is. And so you win two in a row and you can tell the team is gaining some confidence. 
they've bought they've been bought into the coaches but when you get the result on the scoreboard then you buy in even more and so that that started to happen over the last two weeks you you've you've actually talked about what is probably the most important thing for the 2021 season the kids have bought in they're willing to pay the price but unless and until you have success there's always that doubt in the back of your mind is this really going to work are what they asking me to do and what I'm doing really going to pay off? And unless and until you see it on the scoreboard, you don't completely commit to it. Well, now we've seen it on the scoreboard. These kids have seen it a couple of times in a row. Doesn't mean that they're going to win the rest of the games and be world beaters, but it means that this coaching staff knows what they're doing. The plan that they have in place will work if it's executed and the kids have total buy-in and we're working towards that. And I, I'm encouraged. Me too. Keith, I think we'll call it there. I don't think there's anything else I need to add on this. Devonte love Taylor is the only injury of note that I can think of. I addressed that early. I know some other guys went down, but they went back in. I'm pretty sure. So we'll keep an eye there. We got a week off. Then we got homecoming in UMass. And you and I will reconvene in the middle of the week and we'll do our normal Wednesday show. Looking forward to it. That is the plan. Until then, folks, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.